0: well good morning uh, KW Deemer family as Andrew mentioned uh, Pastor Paul and Susan Susan are in St. Catherine's today uh, Paul will be preaching this morning and leading a seminar later today at Port Church in support of a ministry couple that they've gotten to know there uh, for those of you who may be new to KW Redeemer my name is Rick Limus and I'm an elder in this church uh, certainly we wish uh, blessings on Paul and Susan this morning uh, uh, we've been having lots of fun uh, um, this morning, getting things together, uh, recognizing how much they do before every service, and, uh, and uh, but we're thankful that uh, we can worship together. We'll be taking some time this morning uh, to be reminded again, as we have been already, in our confession time, in the offertory, in our, in our songs, uh, of the good news that we celebrated last week on Easter Sunday, the resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and what that means for our world and for our lives. Ann and I were homeowners for many years in the small town of Kincardine, and I enjoyed the responsibility of looking after our yard. Although I wouldn't call myself an avid gardener, I tried to keep our front and backyards looking neat and well-tended. Whenever I noticed any dead branches or wilted shrubs or brown grass, I would get busy with my clippers and hedge trimmers and rake, sometimes a chainsaw, and then pile up all of the gathered brush behind our garden shed until the next trip to the dump. There's something in me that just does not like the sight of decaying foliage. Now, we live in a condo building in Waterloo that sits on a very nice property with ponds and some wooded areas. But imagine my dismay when we go walking around the pond and I see all kinds of dead trees and shrubs along the pathway. I'm tempted to go find my chainsaw, but the job is too big for me. This morning, we'll consider the death and decay in our world and what our Heavenly Father has done about it and what He is still doing about it. Our passage this morning comes from the Apostle Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. Before we read it, let's understand why Paul wrote this letter. Paul had planted a church in the city of Corinth on his second missionary journey. You can read about that in Acts chapter 18. Unlike other stops on his missionary journey, Paul was able to stay in Corinth for a relatively long time, a year and a half. The new church there had flourished under his teaching, welcoming both Jewish and Gentile converts. However, in the three or four years since Paul had left Corinth, the church there had fallen into division and confusion. Corinth was a major city of trade and there were lots of ideas and influences in the city that impacted the church. Paul had heard about some of this church's issues in reports from ministry colleagues, and the Corinthian church had written a letter to Paul with a number of questions that had emerged. Paul wrote this first letter to the Corinthians in response to the various issues and questions they were wrestling with. One of the questions they had concerned the resurrection of believers. Does resurrection really take place? What happens to those who are still alive when Jesus Christ returns? Paul responds to these questions in chapter 15, and we will look specifically at verses 50 to 58. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep The saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we consider this text and others related to it, we're going to be reminded of three things the problem of the perishable, also referred to as corruption in other Bible translations, what God has done about the problem and how we, his children, are now called to live. We'll be focusing specifically on verses 56 to 58, but let's consider first the problem of the perishable described in verse 50. I tell you this, brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. The problem of the perishable is evident to every person living in this world. We all know that food over a period of time will rot and decay. I trust that you students who are moving away for the summer have emptied your fridges or will remember to do so in the next few days. Many of you sitting here this morning are in your twenties and thirties. You're at the peak of your physical health. I hate to break the news to you, but if the Lord blesses you with many more years in this life, you will discover that everything is downhill from here on. (laughs) Please understand that I'm not complaining. I'm just reminding us about something that we all know. There is a scientific concept related to the process of decay. It's called entropy. Measurements show that all energy in a system gradually moves from a state of high energy and structure to a state of randomness and disorder. Decay is written right into the laws of nature. For those of you that have finished your exams, I hope you got that right. (laughs) Aside from the reality of physical decay, we also need to acknowledge the persistence of moral decay in our world. As human beings, we understand that life would be a lot smoother and we would be a lot happier if we all did a better job of taking care of each other and the world that we live in. But that takes effort and cooperation. As we look at the history of the world, we see repeated examples of failure. When the Second World War ended and the world realized the full horror of Hitler's plan to exterminate a whole segment of the European population, the various nations of the world agreed to form the United Nations Organization in order to promote international cooperation and greater peace and security. It was a good idea. Yet here we are. Seventy-seven years later, witnessing yet another nation with military strength ruthlessly attack and destroy its neighbouring country. And there seems to be little that we can do to make it stop. Why can't we make all nations cooperate? We have not been able to eliminate selfishness, greed, abuse of power. Our nation marked the occasion of Earth Day on Friday, and we celebrate the various ways that we can take care of our planet by reducing or recycling our waste and limiting our energy use. And yet, our planet continues to struggle with pollution in the air and water, and with extreme weather effects that are affecting our ability to grow food in certain parts of the world, Why? Despite our society's enlightened efforts to learn about our responsibility to care for each other, our news feeds remain full of stories about violence, racism, sexual abuse, addiction, homelessness. If this is all there is, then what keeps us from despairing? It seems that, no matter what we do, our efforts will end in failure and disappointment. And, of course, our greatest enemies, Our most inevitable disappointment is death itself. Most of us have attended a funeral of a loved one and felt the pang of thinking, this is not right. This is not the way it is supposed to be. Sigmund Freud wrote, and finally, there is the painful riddle of death for which no remedy at all has yet been found nor probably ever will be. Was Freud correct in his hopeless conclusion? In days of old, King Solomon wrote about failure and disappointment in the book of Ecclesiastes. Listen to some of his phrases. Chapter one, verse two, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Verse eight, all things are full of weariness, a man cannot utter it. Verse 10, is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. Solomon recognized the futility of life without God. But Solomon also understood that there is something more to this life. He writes in Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11, God has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Everyone, whether they believe in a God who created this world or believe there is no God and our universe simply exploded into existence, has a sense that this state of futility is not how things ought to be in our world. We all feel that there should be something more, but most in our world have no idea what that something is nor why we cannot achieve it. Our passage this morning reminds us of why we cannot achieve the imperishable on our own. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. The sting of death is sin. Paul writes in Romans 5 verse 8, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. When the first people created by God, people created in His image to be in community with their Creator God, people given the ability to reason and to choose, made the choice to reject God's instruction for their lives and choose their own path, sin and death, indeed all of the decay that we've spoken about entered into the created world. In Genesis chapter 3, God announces to his created children the consequences of their choice. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. God had no joy in announcing these consequences. He is not... A vindictive ogre in a jealous snit indeed the very next act recorded in Genesis is that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them God had designed a marvelous world for us to thrive in but mankind rejected God's created order and chose his own a world of decay that continues to this day verse 56 continues and the power of sin is the law What does that mean? The law refers to the instructions for right living that God gave his chosen people on Mount Sinai. Instructions that Jesus later explained more fully during his ministry on earth. How can this good law be the power of sin? Paul gives an explanation of this statement in chapter seven of his letter to the Romans, starting at verse seven. What then shall we say that the law is sin The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. God's good law was given to open our eyes so that we could see how far we fall short of God's plan for our lives. We begin to understand that the reason for all the futility that we see around us is not bad luck or an angry God. The reason for this futility is us. We are constantly choosing paths of life that don't look anything like God's intended and good plan for his created world. During our weekly time of confession, I've often referred to the Apostle Paul's very fitting description of our broken state, also found in Romans chapter seven. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who indeed? Of course, we would not be gathered here this morning if this was the end of the story, that God created the world, but man rejected God's plan, and therefore, man was left to wallow in the sad futility of his own plan. One of the most helpful Bible teachers that Ann and I have come to enjoy over the years is the late R.C. Spruill. He had a gift for teaching biblical truth in an engaging way. In a video that I watched of R.C. teaching a room full of theology students at his study center back in the 1980s, he announced to the class that he was going to tell them one of his favorite words in the Bible. He turned around with chalk in hand and wrote in large letters on the chalkboard, "B." U-T, but. Throughout the New Testament, but particularly in Paul's letter to the Romans, we are first reminded about the hard truth of our sin and the consequences of our sin, and then the sentence continues, but God. Romans 6, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 5 verse 8, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Romans 6 verse 17, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient and have become slaves of righteousness. And from our passage this morning, verse 57, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ, through our Lord Jesus Christ, God was not content to allow the human race, men and women, who were created in His image to live in community with Him, to simply turn away and remain in their state of ruin. Man's choice to turn away from God and choose his own path was not a surprise to God. From all eternity, He had a plan in place to redeem His fallen children and the beautiful world that He had created for them to live in. And that plan was His Son, Jesus Christ god himself entered into his created world into the futility and despair that we created and took it all upon himself as jesus lived among us the gospels record how he felt about the decay that was evident all around him jesus rejoiced with those whom he restored from their infirmities the lame and the blind and the leper jesus had compassion on those caught in sexual sin but he invited them to sin no more Jesus spoke out against the hypocrisy of the religious leaders who exalted themselves as doers of the law rather than recognizing What the law reveals that they needed a savior and it especially bothered Jesus that they were teaching this incorrect philosophy to others Jesus was saddened by those like the rich young ruler who were given a deeper understanding of the requirements of the law and who rejected them Jesus wept when he arrived at the tomb of Lazarus even though he knew that he was going to restore Lazarus to life. Jesus wept because he knew that this perishable way of life was not the way it was supposed to be. This was not God's intention for his creation. And so Jesus, in his great love for us, endured the worst of mankind's depravity, and even more so endured his Father turning away from him as he suffered on the cross, so that our sin The cause of all this death and decay could be dealt with so that we could be made right with our Creator God again God the Father accepted the sacrifice of his son Jesus Christ and then revealed to all of us this mystery that we read about something that we had not fully understood before the Apostle Peter in his sermon to the gathered crowd on Pentecost Sunday says about Jesus in Acts chapter 2 that God raised him up losing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Peter then quotes David's words from Psalm 16 saying, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And Peter affirms that David's prophecy refers to Jesus Christ and the end of corruption, the end of the perishable. Earlier in First Corinthians chapter 15 in verses 20 20 to 26 we read, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power, for he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, and the last enemy to be dis- destroyed is death. Death and decay are still quite evident in our world today, but these enemies have an expiry date. When our, victor- when our victorious Savior returns, he is bringing with him the end of all disappointment for all those who love him. Some of you may recall that a few years ago, I described the behavior of my grandson, Evan, when he gets excited about something. When Evan was a small boy and we were enjoying a tense game of Jenga or a suspenseful action movie like Star Wars, he would start bouncing. We always knew when he had a good hand in cards, he would start bouncing. (laughs) Evan is 11 years old now and he's a very cool young man So he'd probably not like it that I'm sharing this story. But I was happy to see that when Evan was showing me how to play an interesting computer game a few weeks ago, and he could see that I was getting the hang of it, he started bouncing. (laughs) I love it that he's able to express excitement in this way. And I want to suggest to all of you that the good news that we have received should be causing all of us to bounce with joy and excitement. God is bringing about the end of decay That is mind-boggling for us, because decay is written right into the natural processes that we observe in our world. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through his spirit. We need to remember that God is supernatural. He exists outside of time and space. And he is the one who put into place the laws of nature that govern our world whenever god wanted to reveal himself to his chosen people he demonstrated supernatural power he defied gravity to make the red sea part he stopped the spinning of the world to make the sun stand still jesus walked on water and raised the dead to life again and then jesus rose from the grave with an imperishable body one that will never decay and die The Bible gives us lots of glimpses into God's restored world. In Isaiah 65 we read, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. And further on, before they call, I will answer, while they are yet speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall graze together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox, and dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt or destroy, in all my holy mountain says the Lord in Isaiah 2 he shall judge the, between the nations and shall decide disputes for many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks nation shall not lift up sword against nation neither shall they learn war anymore are you bouncing yet in Revelation 21 he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. God has promised this glorious future and revealed the risen, imperishable body of Jesus as the first evidence of this future. But the reality for us is that we are living in the time between the already and the not yet. So how are we who believe in the resurrected Son of God now called to live in this world that is still struggling with death and decay. Let's look at verse 58. Therefore, whenever you see a therefore, you have to know it's there for something. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We who have received the good news of the gospel and have understood the glorious future that God has promised to those who trust in Him, need no longer throw up our hands in despair and cry out, what's the point? God has made our lives meaningful. We're called to be steadfast and immovable. That doesn't mean not moving, taking no action. It means being rooted in our understanding of who God is and what He has done for us. It means studying God's word and discovering His promises to us and His instruction for how we can live our lives for Him. It means trusting in Him when tragedy or persecution comes our way. It means not wavering in our understanding of truth every time the culture around us announces another new fad or concept. Christians are called to be the original woke people. The Holy Spirit has allowed us to understand the good news of the Gospel, and we are called to be at work in God's world to help others to receive this good news. We are now called to abound in the work of the lord what is the work of the lord our god created this world and is now recreating it he is pruning away all that is not a part of his eternal imperishable world and he has already begun changing the perishable souls of those whom he has called into imperishable souls souls without decay or corruption in your various callings in life As a student, as a friend, as a neighbor, as a spouse, as a parent, as a worker, whether you're a car mechanic or lawyer, accountant or social worker, doctor or engineer, whatever you do, you are to be busy caring for this world and the people in it, and your work is not in vain. You may never see the result of the seeds of hope and encouragement that you plant, but God is using them you may not understand the pain and suffering you experience because of the death and decay that still exists in our world but God is using that for good in your life for those who are in the Lord there is an end to frustration and disappointment and it has already begun perhaps some of you who are listening this morning are simply not convinced you may be thinking it sounds too good to be true the evidence of the risen Jesus Christ seemed too good to be true to those who first witnessed it but as they realized it was really true jesus was alive after being dead jesus was lifted up into heaven their lives were transformed simple fishermen became evangelists vengeful religious persecutors became missionaries lost and despairing people became joyful brothers and sisters and through them the message of the gospel has gone to all peoples of the world and our world has been changed. If you'd like to learn more, please come and talk to me or any of your Christian friends and allow us to share how Jesus Christ has changed our lives. And then we'll pray with you that you too might accept this good news. I close this morning with the vision that the apostle John was given and recorded for us in Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life They will need no light, lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray.